Welcome, welcome to another episode of A Tribe of One. You know, half the fun of doing this podcast has been getting to know the awesome people on the Sapien team better and learning more about their lives. And in this episode, we learn so much about Lynn Connolly, our Chief Operating and Compliance Officer. Lynn has been with Sapien for a couple years and has done a lot to keep Sapien running smoothly and in the clear, helping us operate more efficiently and scale our vision. We had a lot of fun discussing a wide range of topics with Lynn, from art and horseback riding to notions of sovereignty and the power and limits of NFTs, even how to navigate difficult conflicts and keep them from getting too nasty. I really appreciated this conversation with Lynn, and I think you will too. If you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend. We want to get more awesome guests on this show, and part of getting there is growing our audience and spreading the word. That said, here is Lynn Connolly. All right, welcome to A Tribe of One, the podcast where we talk about communities we belong to, communities where we belong today, and communities that we can only dream about. Lynn, uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. Really excited to be here. Nice. Well, we got a bunch of uh, questions for you today, uh, but we want to kick things off with our traditional question. What do you think about when we say the word tribe? What What does it mean to you? Well, I guess... To me, tribe has a lot of a lot of different meanings. Basically, I would say one of the main meanings is just to be part of a group of people or um, a group with common interests and some. And I would say ones that just support and encourage and motivate each other. You know, definitely. So it's it's not so much, it's great to have the common interest, but it's even better to have that support and motivation with every member of that community. Nice. So the way you see it is, uh, you know, there's it's kind of like a, a small community, uh, a network where people are connected by, you know, sort of shared interests and have the ability to sort of motivate each other. And there's a sense of, uh, I guess, belonging that you're, you're touching upon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, we're all we're all individuals. So I guess that that's what I'm also getting at as well is, you know, I was, I was sort of hesitating there when I was when I was explaining about, you know, just common interests is that, yeah, we we share a common interest, but we may go about that, uh, you know, in different ways or there's different aspects of it that are more important or resonate with one person more than another. And because we are all individuals, we all have our, our, our common goals. We have our own ways of um, communicating and expressing ourselves. But, and then when we, but when we pull together as a community, as you said, with these, with these shared interests, whether or not we, we approach it the same way or differently, we, we all, you, you know, come around a, a common you know, a few common elements or common values or common goals or common interests. And when we do, even though there may be still distinct differences, because I, I, I can think of a community I'm involved in, you know, there still can be very distinct differences, very distinct personalities. 
But because of this, of what we share and what we believe in, we're there to support and respect and motivate and be there for each other, uh, no matter what other differences there may be. And that to me is just a, a really great thing and a really good description of, say, a tribe or a community is, is that we respect the similarities, but we respect the differences as well. I'm uh, curious, Lynn, what tribes you've been a part of that have had a big impact on your life and how they've had that. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's been a few as, as you, you move throughout your life. Um, definitely uh, one of, you know, there's certainly, you know, when you, when you work, you, you know, in so many different areas of your life. So, you, so you have, you know, the jobs that you work in and, you know, the other, your coworkers, your team members there, and then outside you have your, your hobbies or your interests. And, and I've had a lot, so many, um, I've actually, I've done art. So I've been involved in the art community. I have uh, ridden horses for most of my life and I've participated. So not only have I competed in show jumping, but then I've, I've also worked as um, a riding instructor for, you know, mentally challenged or uh, disabled community. And then I've also, you know, currently I moved down to Florida. So I'm involved in the cave diving community. Uh, some of my other interests are definitely around the environment and preserving the environment and, you know, strong beliefs in, in ESG, environmental, social and governance. So I, I very closely align with a lot of our uh, things that we're doing around climate change uh, mitigation and environmental or biodiversity sustainability. But then I also very closely align with just overall human values and respect and that whole social aspect um, of the ESG pillars. So there's there's quite a few, but within each one, as I said, you find you find people within the community where you have this overriding shared interest, and you're really within that community. You're you're all approaching or you're all working towards the same goal, but when you speak to everyone, you may have very, very different beliefs in other areas. You know, definitely maybe some different political beliefs, or you may share even different viewpoints on how to approach something. And but within these communities is that or within these tribes is that all of those beliefs should definitely be respected. As I said, be respected. You may not agree, but you should at least, you know, disagree respectfully. And it doesn't change the fact that you're all there working towards that common goal. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Lynn, there's uh, definitely a lot that, you know, we'd like to dive into a little bit deeper, but I, I guess starting with uh, art, I didn't, I didn't really know that you had a uh, art background. Is that something that you had some sort of formal training in or? All right. So I'm going to share something that none of, I, I don't think anyone here um, actually knew about at all. So um you know, at, at Sapien, we, we we did do this thing called One Fun Fact, and now, and now I'm giving away my second one if we do it. At one point in time, I actually wanted to be a fashion designer. And so when I was in high school, I did a lot of fashion illustrations, and I took a lot of classes in that regard. And I was just, I was really considering it because I just, I loved creating 
fashion illustration piece was was definitely something. But then out of that, I just continued. So I, I took a lot of classes in drawing and sketching. I love painting and oils. Um, I recently, in the, in the past few years, uh, started doing things with dry pastels. And uh, so it's something that I've, I've studied a lot of art history. I, I always go to art museums wherever I can. When I was living in New York, I just really love the contemporary contemporary art. Uh, spent a lot of time looking at the galleries and going to the shows there. I never really shared my art with anybody. It's just kind of for me. I'm, I'm really not that good, certainly not as talented as, as many of the people that are out there today. And there's still a few uh, museums around the world and a few places around the world that are on my bucket list to visit and to see. But when I was in New York and just, you know, started going to the gallery, speaking to the artists and just understanding that community, it's a wonderful community of people, you know, very, very supportive, very nice. Uh, it, It was it's fun. I, you know, some aspects, like I said, I'm in Florida now that I miss. I still try to, and you can't fit everything into your life. You know, there are certain times where where some things, you know, so so art is um, something I hope to get back to. My my new passion, which is cave scuba diving, has sort of taken over mm. a lot of my free time. Um, yeah. But there are things that I'd like to get back to. Yeah, that's the thing with art, too. I, I recently had a rediscovery with uh, the electric guitar because I was uh, taught quite a bit of it when I was a kid. And uh, I actually learned a lot of um, uh, Indian songs. And uh, as of late, I've been sort of getting a little bit more into rock and uh, and, and metal. And uh, finally, I've been able to play some songs that, you know, I want to play. So, you know, I really think that there's no sort of like right time for art you can kind of just pick it up at any time or, you know, you can drop off and, you know, just like decades later, pick it up. And, you know, it still gives you that sort of sense of satisfaction, that ability to explore that creative side of your mind. And as you're saying too, like there's a whole community around that. But uh, yeah, I, I find that really, really fascinating because uh, I, I don't really see it as needing to be like the best artist or anything either. Right. I mean, it's just an expression of your, of yourself. And there's no like right or wrong answer. And it, I don't think it necessarily makes sense to sort of compete or say that, hey, you're you're not as good as this other artist, because at the end of the day, like that doesn't really matter. You do it for yourself. At least that's the way I view art. Yeah, I, I certainly I share that a lot. Um, it is something that I do hope I could, you know, bring back and fit in. And it it is true because it's there's so many different, well, there's so many different forms of art, as you said, like music is, is one definitely. And I think to fit it in somehow into your life, it, it, you know, it's just wonderful. And, and as you said, I, I appreciate so much uh, about any type of art and artists. And my, my basic thing is if it speaks to me, if it resonates uh, with me, then for me, that's, that's good. And I don't, I don't think people look at, you know, hopefully they look at and they're able to appreciate, you know, just the different creativity and expressions and talent and everything that's out there. And you certainly notice when somebody really pours their heart into something, you know, whether it's music or a painting or a drawing or a sculpture, 
um, cooking, you know, to me, cooking is, is a form of art as well. A lot of times you notice it and you can appreciate it. I, I think that's why when, you know, one of the other questions is like, what's on your playlist? And like, I have everything and, you know, anything is, as long as I just, it speaks to me, I think it's good. So it, it doesn't really matter to me as, Hmm. And that's why we have so many different forms of art out there. And I think that's also why we, you know, what we're speaking about, like tribes and communities, why there's so many different communities and so many different tribes and, and so many different things that people are interested in. And that should, you know, and that definitely should be celebrated. Hmm. You know, all, all the freedoms of expressions that we have, and, you know, how we can connect with people in so many different levels, so many different interests and, and each one. And as I said, but we should just really all be respectful of the, you know, the differences as well. Right. It gets, uh, it gets interesting when, you know, you have different, different sort of uh, expressions of art and they do conflict with people and their sort of fundamental values, <laughs> you know, and when you, when you really think about it, um, you know, what comes to my mind is, you know, modern art, right? And, and a lot of examples, it, it can be quite graphic and, you know, jarring to to some people, right? So there's, it's, it's, it's an expression, but at times it might not be respectful, I guess, of another sort of set of values, you know, for someone that might be coming from like a strict, you know, conservative background or a background that isn't as open. So I find that pretty interesting, right? Because if you are you know, working on art and pushing the boundaries, oftentimes you, you know, you, you are sort of venturing into areas where you can't please everyone. Right. And I think that that is something that interests me because I, I don't see us all being able to fully express ourselves without sort of risking, uh, you know, offending or, you know, potentially, you know, hurting some other sort of culture's feelings. So I think, I think it's, we're in a difficult spot, especially today, um, because if everyone sort of is walking around like, you know, there's fragile glass everywhere, then what do we do, right? What is the sort of, what is the sane path forward? Um, curious to get your thoughts. I can share a few examples because what you said is so true. Um, because of what people have as their, as their intrinsic values or as their core beliefs or, or within their own culture, you know, or, or religion, or, or just what they basically uh, feel and believe in when you have different artistic expressions or, or different ways of expressing things, you will risk offending somebody. And um, not everyone, I, I, and what I said before is because we are all individuals, that what you create and what you put out there, obviously there's going to be people that don't like it or, or even, you know, your basic likes what what you like or, or what you don't um someone is going to have a very strong opposite view of yours uh, and that exists because like i said we are individuals difficulty comes up when you speak of offending other people and you know you you try to think of is there a line there or is there is it gray is it blurry you know what what is you know, what should still be viewed as acceptable and, and what shouldn't be. And we do wrestle with that a lot when you think of it, because 
you know, when you talk about intent, you know, hopefully the intent is not to offend anyone and not to cause anyone pain or not to harm anyone. But sometimes even the most basic or what we consider, you know, just a straightforward remark may cause someone to take offense. And it's it's not intended that way. And if you're pushing boundaries with art and you're creating it based on your own set of values and, and your own work, I, rem- I distinctly remember, you know, a few exhibitions. This was, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago. Well, they still occur even today where you hear about exhibitions going up and there's a protest against them because people don't feel that it should be displayed for public view because it's offensive. And everyone has a different definition of what's offensive. It's so you try to, I try to accommodate, but if you're going to be an artist and you're going to push boundaries, but you're pushing boundaries, but your intent is not to, is not to offend. There's a difference between intending to provoke and get people to think and intending to offend, I think. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, again, the, the it's, whole, it's just such a blurred mm-hmm. line. Yeah, it, it really is. Because I, I mean, the, the idea and, and, and the notion of intent can be so tricky. Uh, and, and Rob, I see, uh, you know, yes. you want to jump in on this. Yeah. Yeah, I was just uh, going to say, I think we're sort of in a, an era where intent doesn't really uh, matter anymore, at least uh, at the cultural level, it seems like uh, that's something we just don't really want to have the energy or the time to, to consider because it's obviously a sort of a complicated thing to and I feel like Rob, at, at times you can almost sort of derive, you know, multiple intents from sort of. Let's let's just take a piece of art, right? I don't know. I don't know how much you're uh, into sort of some of the the you know pop music and uh, hip hop, Lynn. But there was a song called "WAP" mm-hmm. by Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B, and uh, it was super controversial, right? In the, in the sense that it was a song that was meant to be an artistic expression. And it offended a lot of uh, conservative groups. But you can read into the intent of the song multiple ways. So it gets, it gets to me, it gets really tricky in, in, in what's, if, if there is a read on that that is offensive, um, what do we do with that, right? Is it, is it even something that needs to be resolved? Or at what level do you think, Lynn, maybe the other side is right? Like, you know, there's some sort of necessary social order that needs to be maintained. I, I don't know how to phrase this question, but... You know, I, f- I find that is, is there some sort of balance that's worth striking? Well, I think that's also why, you know, we we have these different communities and, you know, but we also, you know, then the other thing is that, you you know, what we're bringing up is freedom of speech and expression, which should definitely be preserved no matter what your, you know, what your views are. And, you know, you, know, you brought up something that offended the conservative community. And the conservative community puts out things that offend the more liberal or other communities. And behind that is is freedom of expression because they are expressing their opinions and their beliefs. And, you know, I think what I was talking about more is like just an overall just intent to do, you know, cause harm or something like that if you go there. And I'll bring it back to... I also said I'm very involved in cave scuba in cave scuba diving, scuba diving in caves where obviously there's, there's 
one way in and one way out, which is the entrance to the cave. And it attracts, you know, there's a lot of people that are involved in this sport. It's a close-knit community because you do have to, most of the time, you're diving with a buddy. And if something goes wrong, you're relying on your buddy. You know, if something goes wrong with my equipment and I'm in the cave, I'm relying on my buddy and me to work together to get us out of that situation safely. And many times you may be diving with a buddy who has distinctly different views from yours. But that's what I said. But we're all there to support each other. We're all there to, you know, have a great dive. We're all there for each other. And what, you know, where I say distinctly different views, I mean, distinctly different political views, um, distinctly different uh, value sets or religious views, you know, very very across, you know, one end to the other in terms of spectrums. And, you know, I've had a lot of very, very interesting conversations with people because I'm interested in hearing their viewpoints. I'm interested in learning, you know, what they think, you know, why they think. There's questions on my mind, you know, about, well, you know, why, why this or why that? I, I have a you know, a good friend of mine, too, who I worked with, who's um, who's living in another state and, you know, also shares some different viewpoints. And I message her a lot and I ask her, hey, can you point me to some books or something? Because I'm, I'm the type of person I want to understand. I, I'm not about to change anybody's, you know, when someone has very, you know, has their own views and their opinions, it's, it's not about changing minds, you know, someone once accused me, oh, you're trying to change my mind. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just really trying to understand. And that's why I'm talking about being respectful. But what I'm also sharing is that there are times where no matter how many different views you have, you can all come together, you know, for a common goal, like in cave diving, we're all coming together. I'm going in that cave with somebody and our, our common goal is to have a great dive, but also to get out of that cave safely. So I, hmm. you know, that might be a little unique in this world. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool to sort of, you know, learn about that. And I find it really just, just fascinating because to me, it seems that in that sort of community context, in the specific context of cave diving, you know, it's, it's like people sort of adopt a different, you know, value system entirely, right? Like the top priority is to sort of take care of the people that you're, diving with and, you know, give them the attention that they need and have their back in case anything goes wrong. It's just interesting how at times we can sort of be within different communities and sort of adapt to the the necessary systems to cooperate and, and coordinate and achieve things together, right? In, in your sort of scenario, you, you know, you're looking to dive safely and looking to dive far and everyone is working towards that. But to, to actually ha have that sort of happen, you, you need to adopt a system where you're not sort of, you know, going, oh, my God, this other person is totally on the other side of the spectrum than me and with regards to this other idea. No, like you just need to be focused on what you, on the task, on the goal, on the objective of the tribe. And I find that really, really cool because I, I think that applies to so many different environments where we're working together with other people to, to accomplish things. Yeah, I, I definitely see that all over when you have teams, when you bring teams together, you know, in the workplace or other areas, you know, as you said, or even in the art world or, or 
you know, other places where you have these common goals that you're working towards. And, you know, the, the thing is that even though the people, you know, these people I'm speaking about, they may have the different viewpoints, but at the end of the day, they're all good people. You know, the views might be different, but they're all good people. And, you know, that's why we know we can rely on each other because that, that part of it is shared where, yeah, okay, you think differently, fine, I respect it, you know. But I think that, you know, basic values, if you want to get down to that, like really basic core values, those are the same. So, yeah, uh, it is yeah. It is interesting. It, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's interesting to look at, I guess what I find a little bit, um, you know, as I said, when I talk to people, I'm like, I'm not about to try to change their opinion, which is obviously so intrinsic and so ingrained or change their values at, at all, because they're not, you know, they're not asking me any questions or anything else. I'm not there to, to change. And I'm there to respect, you know, one of the things that bothers me is when people try to go out of their way to put another community down or do something to cause, you know, rights to be taken away from another community or another tribe, instead of understanding that we all should be equals, we should, you know, doesn't matter, we should be equals here, and we shouldn't really try to, you know, unnaturally enforce things upon others. Yeah, and and Lynn, I think you've been uh, quite vocal in the past about, you know, your issues with with social media and, and, and Facebook, for example, but to a great extent, it has sort of, you know, worsened some of these issues around tribalism, right, where you start having people you know, thrown into these communities that and become very sort of polarized and sort of aggressively, you know, hating each other. But how do you do? How do you see that as a part of all this? um, And sort of technology's role in that? You know, if you have just like Ed Sapien, this really democratized vision, and this ability, this, you know, strong system and freedom of speech, and the creation of tribes and communities and allowing them to, you know, flourish and govern and have their own set of common interests and and not interfere you know and, and not start pitting one against the other or interfering what i see sometimes in social media well well first off obviously you know i i don't care for trolls at all and you know what i what i like is you know if there is the ability to to be able, I, I think that's a very destructive and toxic type of behavior. I, you know, one of the things I, as you know, I believe in is ask the question, ask the question, don't make assumptions, ask the question and don't spew, you know, don't spew hate for the sake of spewing hate. And some of these social media platforms or others with their algorithms that they run behind the scenes, like you said, they, they just aren't becoming pleasant places for me to spend my time. I'm spending less and less time on traditional social media platforms, basically because first, I'm, I'm not seeing everything I'd like to see. As you can see, my interests are very varied and it seems to be, I seem to have this very myopic feed um, being displayed to me. And then uh, the other thing about it is that there are things that are displayed that might be considered ads or something else and aren't even from people I know, which are very inflammatory. So 
it's not a great place, I think, you know, to be or visit or share, you know, it'd be great to have these communities, like I said, that are just or tribes that are, you know, allowed to whatever their interest is. It could be something that goes completely against, you know, some of my views. But I also, as I said, I respect freedom of speech and I respect their rights to um, to be a community, to be a tribe. I don't, but as long as we're not, we don't start pitting ourselves or trying to take something away from one another, just just let both communities exist. Hmm. It, it does, but I, I see you're also answering it from a very, like an, an American point of view, right? You know, and of course, we're huge proponents of free speech as well. But I, I really just don't think the rest of the world thinks that way, right? Like, it, I mean, it just, you have, you have countries that sort of regularly uh, interfere with these, with these platforms and ask them for information, ask them to, you know, reveal sort of whereabouts of, of you know, political enemies, you know, and, and just operate in a way that doesn't really seem conducive to, to true free speech. And um, I wonder what's the sort of natural outcome of that, right? You have these large centralized platforms wanting to be global and be sort of all over this world, right? But but they can't. They can. They really. They really sort of butt against the boundaries of of governments themselves. And I wonder. I really do wonder how that's going to be sort of resolved in the future. And and I guess one approach is you know everything that is being worked on in the in the Web3 space for, for building decentralized technologies. But I wonder if that will be sufficient to sort of guarantee free speech and, you know, build systems where communities can exist without those sort of misaligned sort of incentives. How do you, how do you sort of see that playing around in the, playing out in the, in the Web3 space? If I could solve world peace, I would. I mean, it is a tough that's a tough question. I, I also, my past, which probably you, you didn't know um, either, but I, I have studied international business quite a lot. And I have studied global politics. And I have looked at, um, you know, as I said, started out with saying with ESG, environmental, social, and governance, the United Nations has sustainability development goals. Um, it used to be Millennium Goals, now Sustainability Development Goals that I do follow because I, I do truly believe in them and the work that's trying to be done in terms of um, just improving the social aspect of, of people's lives globally around the world. And when it comes to countries and, and other governments and, and, you know, yes, and I think in, in the U.S. where where we do have this you know, we take our freedoms almost to the extreme, as, as we see by some. But in other governments, you know, you do have to respect the government, the sovereign government that is in power in that country. Uh, we may not agree with it. We may not agree with, with their tactics. We, you know, it is another country. And I think they have to, that has to be respected as well. What we would like to, and that's also the power of some of these platforms, what we would like to have or what you'd like to bring to Sapien and have Sapien become global. We're not sure if how many other 
countries or how many other people globally also also share that i guess is what i'm trying to say because we didn't we haven't hold everyone and i and i do think that there has to be a respect for other countries and their governments i think the the concerning thing to me is that you know a lot of these huge companies really uh do hold sway over such a large part of people's lives their maybe their entire digital lives and uh they're sort of still acting unilaterally as a single authority over decisions that impact these huge amounts of people without really taking any input from their community at all because their community i guess isn't isn't really their community it's their their product that that they're selling but uh i think we really sort of as a global society do need to reevaluate our views on sort of what it means to be sovereign in a digital world and what fundamental rights can uh, an individual expect i think that's for each country to decide quite honestly we share one view like i said i share a view you share your view and but i do know there are rules and regulations that are being passed by a lot of different countries globally right now in terms of you know the internet online blockchain cryptocurrency and you know, it's it's a question that a lot of countries or regulators are, are wrestling with right now and, and have been for quite some time. Yeah, it just seems to the scale of the problem is uh, pretty, pretty impressive. It's yeah, incredible that these companies are able to essentially uh, negotiate on the same level as countries politically. Uh, and I think that alone is sufficient reason to reevaluate our, our framework for understanding. Well, yeah, and I think... Uh, Adding on to that, I feel like to some extent, Lynn, if we end up giving the responsibility back to countries to sort of sort it out, then you do get situations like, you know, China and North Korea. And, you know, you really have to ask yourselves, like, you know, what what is the what is that citizen who lives there? Like, what is their relationship to the Internet? And should the country be this sort of, I guess, you know, uh, middleman to connect them to the Internet? and all the opportunities that lay in the sort of digital realm. And I'm not entirely sure it's, it's a good idea to leave that in the hands of countries because, you know, they'll, they'll make decisions based on politics, as Rob's saying, too. And that, that can be terrifying. I mean, that can lead think, us down a, a wrong path. Yeah, especially as our digital lives are becoming more and more our entire lives, right? Like, should we be giving the power to these countries to essentially... Uh, imprison people or restrict them from certain certain parts of their life. It's uh, sort of a troubling. Well, I, I do firmly believe that a country has a sovereign authority to pass rules and govern the way that they see fit, um, period. Uh, whether or not that is what they're enacting is everyone's global belief or worldwide belief, but... I do believe that every country has their own governing sovereignty to govern their country as they see fit. Um, I do respect um, individual country sovereignties and, you know, what they decide to rule on or pass governing laws on or pass regulations on is, is obviously up to them. It's, it is their country, whether or not 
other people may agree when in, in terms of when it comes to the internet and allowing or disallowing access to the entire internet or to various sites or aspects of it, you know, is is something that can be, in my mind, a continuing discussion. You know, when you think about diplomacy or what diplomacy is, it is something that can be a continuing discussion to have. But at the end of the day, country sovereignty should be respected. Yeah, there's a uh, pretty deep question there. And I think in many ways, our current political system is still sort of has a legacy of uh, feudalism, you know, where people may not be serfs, but uh, they are sort of tied to the land and sort of in a strange way, the property of the state. And examples like uh, people in North Korea, right? I doubt uh, many of them would want to stay in their current situation given full information about the rest of the world, right? Uh, it's a question of whether or not there's, uh, I guess, which rights do we put first, right? Those of the individual or those of the the country. And I think in uh, with the internet, right, it sort of hints at a different possible future where maybe we're not stuck with this legacy system where people are just tied to, to land, right? Where But where people are maybe have... Uh, the freedom of choice and the ability to really say what they value and be governed accordingly based on what they choose to align themselves with. I think that element of choice is still missing. And that's uh, something that, I mean, it's something that's accessible to people in maybe the West or people that can afford to uproot themselves and move wherever they want. But to many people, uh, I think they are, they're trapped and yeah, virtually enslaved. Yeah, this is a really difficult question. And there are a lot of things even here in this country that I have seen where our rights have been taken away here or things have gotten, have become, and I'm not only speaking about, you know, what's occurred over, you you know, people always think about the past election cycles and, and I'm not even speaking about that. There are a lot of things that were very, very different in the world that I remember. And even here in the States, I I clearly I clearly remember the day before and the day after 9-11. And, you know, so there were things and there are things that are enacted where, you know, I think I told you I freely after college just backpacked all over, you know, throughout Europe and Greece and it was wonderful and didn't have a care really. And there wasn't any internet and there wasn't any cell phones and there wasn't any anything. I just, you know, me and a friend and we just, you know, had this, you know, these great six weeks. And it's that sort of thing that what I just see happening a lot now is, is that there are things that are eroding and things that are being taken away all across the board globally. And there are things that are being distorted and there are, um, you know, things that are being exaggerated and you're not really sure what to believe or what is real. And you see governments, you know, all over enacting regulations. And so now we're speaking about the Internet and trying to create something where people have this these freedoms again, even though it's virtually, but you have these freedoms again and you could create these great communities and tribes, the way you would like to create them when people with shared interests and common interests and we're giving them, 
you know, some governing abilities and we want it to, um, and we want this space to exist in a way that we wish everything, you know, maybe that we wish everything would, how everything could exist. And, you know, it's, it's this excellent vision and it's something to be just is so commendable and to be proud of. And that's what we're working on because when you're looking at the world and any country right now, and now even going through this pandemic, you know, things are constantly changing and are they changing for the better or not? Or, or it's always a question to ask. Yeah, I think this problem also emerges not only at the scale of the country versus the individual, but at the scale, the global level, right? When uh, certain countries may be doing things that have a huge impact on the climate, right? And that's sort of our shared place to live. Should we allow countries to exercise their sovereignty, say, to destroy all of their forests and all of their natural landscape? when that's sort of a, a global heritage. I think, yeah, we need to, to succeed as a species and to survive, we need to develop some sense of global citizenship, really. Well, in terms of, in terms of the client, um, climate, uh, there are a lot of initiatives going on right now, and, and people are getting ready for the next COP, um, I think, over in Paris. And there are a lot of countries who are enacting mandates. There's a lot more companies, though, who are enacting mandates. There's a lot of companies, even in the fossil fuel industry, who are coming out with net zero commitments. There are people recognizing that biodiversity and ecosystems are to be protected. Um, are we doing enough? I'm sure there's a lot of NGOs around there who will say no, um, but we're doing more. And what's wonderful about say, climate change and understanding the impacts and really trying to mitigate it or, you know, restrict it, they're using blockchain. So there's a lot of projects right now where, you know, tracking is being developed, you know, through supply chains. There are ways, I even wrote a research paper on how you can use blockchain to track for deforestation mandates or other things that are happening or to recognize uh, small farmers who are doing the right thing in the, um, you know, in the financial markets. Because right now those small farmers, they may be doing the right thing. They may be like purely sustainable, organic, um, ensuring that forests are not taken down and everything and doing their part. Uh, but they have no access to the financial markets, which they should have and they should need because we want to, say, reward them for what they're doing. And there's so many others. And there's these huge, you know, plant tree commitments around there or, or preserving mangroves. And it's it's accelerating, which is a good thing. Is it is it too late? I don't know, because we're just having some horrible weather issues here. And, you know, there are still species going extinct. Uh, we are still hurting uh, the, the, you know, sea level or the, the oceans are still too warm. And there's still the disbelievers in it. But what is good is that the countries are coming together, even though, like I said, the governments or as I started may not have share common beliefs in other aspects of, of how they're governing they are sharing a common goal around this, but I don't know, you know, right now, I, I hope 
it will be enough. Hmm. And I think the the argument, Rob, that you're trying to make is that by having this sort of internet and access to the internet sort of exist outside of the political apparatus, it can be more effective uh, in enabling people to have more choice and access to sort of even financial resources. Um, and what really comes to mind is crypto and, and sort of the DeFi movement that's happening. But ultimately then, you know, if there isn't uh, sort of a gatekeeper there, then you can give, you know, uh, farmers in your example, in more access to, to resources to, to affect positive change. And um, Rob, what you were saying in North Korea, um, I don't think that, you know, if many of them who are starving right now and, and don't have access to even food and water, uh, clean water, uh, they would they would want to be able to operate in the sort of digital space and maybe you know pick up a gig or do something that allows them to escape the the sort of um, uh, you know die, dice that has has been rolled uh, and give them sort of a, an exit right and I think for a lot of people the internet was and is a form of exit and as soon as you sort of have someone who's preventing you from doing that. I think that can be an issue, right? Um, so maybe it is arguably better to treat the internet as a sort of uh, public goods, just like the, just like Earth, right? We only get one of them, um, and we only have sort of one sort of internet infrastructure because we don't want a future where you have different countries kind of operating their own intranets, uh, and you know all the people in China just kind of accessing China's internet, and same with North Korea and. You know, that's that's the sort of future we're living in, uh, completely disconnected. I think uh, an interesting way to look at the internet is sort of as a public resource, but more particularly as like land, say, right? And it is a space in which all we, we're all navigating together, but which currently is dominated by a few dictatorships, which are these large companies, right, that restrict movement and govern it in certain ways that advance their interests. I do think we need to be able to come together and have democratic institutions there. So, yeah. And, you know, Lynn, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this too, but what we're seeing, at least in the blockchain space is uh, the DAO, right? The decentralized autonomous organization, maybe one of the closest manifestations of some sort of democratic entity living in this virtual land. And uh, it may give people choice at the end of the day, right? The ability to choose which, tribes they want to be a part of, which organizations they want to contribute to. And, um, you know, arguably that's a better sort of future where people are, are being aligned by these, by these communities, just like, you know, you have been with, you know, cave, cave diving and, and the art community. Isn't, isn't that the future that would be preferred to, you know, I guess, excessive authoritarianism? Well, if you're talking about the internet and, you know, as I said, what other companies who have social spaces on the internet are doing, you know, like we, we have a choice there, right? Because we can choose where we want to, where we want to spend our time. Time is valuable. You know, it's, it's, I, if I'm going to be on social, I want it to be about use of my time. I want to get something out of it too. You know, whatever that is, if it's more support, if it's, you know, being able to converse or read things of like-minded people or share my interests or, or whatever, then that's great. You know, it's what you said about the, the fragmentation in other countries or having them 
start their own internet or company or what they view as as what they would like to enact as as their solution part of me is i don't want it to you know you don't want something to devolve in, into what we have with this bombardment of ads or other things that i didn't even ask for but i'm seeing uh, but unfortunately that may also be happening in, in some of these other countries as well but I also think that as long as there is this this space, this area for people to go to and to access and to be online, you know, hopefully it it is ever evolving. You know, it's changed from when it first started. You know, it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Hmm. Yeah, Lynn, I'm I'm also just curious, you know, you've um obviously seen the internet evolve, you know, over the years. But what if what have you sort of been seeing in terms of the trends? As, you know, when when it first came online to kind of you know early two thousands to to where we are today. Yeah, well, when it first came online, um, it wasn't really much of anything. I just started using it uh, more for research. It was great to have like so much information online. It wasn't it didn't wasn't really interested in the whole social network aspect of it because you know. Social interaction has has changed too, uh, because we still had, you know, we actually called people, we spoke to them, we didn't send emails or text messages or or, or other things, and that's why I just really like the fact that people are using video now. That was definitely a change. No one wanted to be on camera at first, at least among my friends, and now people are very very comfortable uh, using using video for calls and everything like that, and. In terms of, at first, I really liked the social networks. And the reason why I liked them is because I could I could find my friends or I could find people that I hadn't spoken to a while. It was a way to stay in touch, to keep up with what they were doing. And, you know, it was, it was great. It was like you said, like a community, like a tribe. But now it's, as I said, I think it's really developed. I sign on. I don't recognize like half of the posts I'm seeing or somehow, you know, as I said, I do like um, cave diving, but there's also a lot of other things that I like, but my, uh, it seems that this algorithm, my thread has devolved into only showing me stuff about diving, which don't get me wrong, it's interesting, but I'd like to know about other things as well. I have a lot of friends who have different interests. And so it'd be really great to know what they're doing or to keep, you know, to keep up with them like the way it used to be. And so I sort of see that what Sapien is, is building in terms of the tribes and the communities is almost in my mind, the way the internet used to be, the way it worked best for me, no advertising, being able to, you know, find your tribe or find your community of, of like-minded people where I know a few of my friends will be in. Or open up our, our own or, you know, just um, and be able to just right up front, just very easily navigate. And I know people can say, oh, but there's other things, you know, areas where you might have, you know, these pages where a lot of people can sign up, but you're still bombarded with ads or you still have the algorithms, you still have other things that you're not in control of. So the experience really is not that great. It it was so much better when it first started out, when it stuck to, when it had its original vision. And that's what I'm seeing that we're sort of trying to bring back here. Hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, and I think uh, you know part of that problem, uh, Lynn, as you articulated, is that you know the business model drives a lot of those design decisions, and for for a platform to show you a continuous stream of diving photos is to make you more predictable, to make you sort of fit into their model a little bit better. Um, because at the end, end of the day, that that is more sort of, you know, uh, a greater ability for an advertiser to sell to you. So, you know, I couldn't agree more, right? That, you know, an original sort of untainted vision of the internet doesn't really have that incentive layer on top of it. And it's really important that we strip that. And that's what, you know, I feel personally that the Web3 space is really offering, you know, alternative business models, um, you know, what we're seeing with NFTs and sort of tokenized uh, access and membership, it can be a viable path forward. Uh, you know, I really truly think so. And I had this sort of burning question, you know, when we were discussing art a little bit earlier, uh, because, you know, we've been seeing NFTs really take off. And I'm curious how you see, you know, Web3 transforming art and, and, and the way that sort of art will sort of function. Yeah, NFTs are extremely interesting. And when it, it comes to um, art or, or buying an NFT, um, I think, you know, one of the things is that you just have to, you know, the same with any art, you have to ensure provenance. You know, if, if I'm buying one of these NFTs that is going for a lot of money, well, I, I can. But if I, if I were, I would definitely want to make sure that there is something also embedded within that NFT that I have the original, you know, so, so that has to, that, that definitely has to occur. I think what it's also doing is it's making art a lot more accessible and widespread, you know, whereas before, you know, you could see, and what will be very interesting is how it might transform galleries. I, I mean, I still like to have that painting, you know, that to, to see the the brushstrokes, the oils, the 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 actual work itself. It's I, I haven't really looked at an NFT. I I always you always know if if you see a picture or even as good a digital rendering as you can possibly get, but then you see the work in person, it's just two totally different experiences. So it will be interesting to know what, you know, what will be on the NFTs, what will eventually emerge? Will it be more, will it be a different art form, which would be incredibly exciting. And that's what I think we're seeing is that it, it just, it's evolving into a completely different art form uh, on the NFTs themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was uh, actually uh, hanging with uh, a close friend um, this past weekend and, uh, Yes, typically, you know, they're, we're talking about blockchain and crypto and, you know, how, how uh, everything is going to change. And she, she's actually a, a dancer and uh, she had some really interesting questions about like, yo, how, how will this actually translate over for my art form? Because arts, because dance is not very easily captured, right? The just taking a video and taking that as like, hey, this is, this is the art performance sort of is a very shallow take on everything that went into making that piece. And in particular, mm -hmm. you know, she was talking a lot about like the choreo choreography and the, all the effort that went into the practice and, and the routines. And that's something that still 
can't really be captured on a video. You can't really like learn that easily, like a, a new sort of dance and the sort of subtleties with, you know, the, the, the hands and the arms, um, without actually having someone there. So I think there is some sort of limit there that will quickly approach where there will never be NFT representations of certain forms of arts, no matter how good the technology gets. I don't know, Rob, if you had any thoughts on this, but you know, how you kind of see the limits of NFT. I think, uh, there will certainly be representations, but they're just that representations. And yeah, you definitely do lose something, you know, not physically being there. But I think that's, yeah, all there's art and then there's, I guess, the market for art, right? And art that you buy is sort of different than experiencing it in the moment of creation or for things like dance, right? Yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff to consider. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking, that you could have a totally different art form around, you know, digital designs, because I think there was that one NFT that was sold. It was completely computer uh, generated, right? It was a complete digital design, and it was just incredibly impressive how it was done and, and how much, you know, how integrated it was and the work that went into it. And that's why I'm saying that we can see a completely different art form develop because of the existence of NFTs. But you're absolutely right. There is something about seeing, you know, what we currently have in person, you know, whether it's a painting or um, dance or other types of performances. You know, people are saying they're selling their, their tweets. So that's where I'm also saying that. So maybe, you know, writing is, is still something that can be you know, whether it's on an NFT or, or not. Um, but I'm just seeing, I, I, I think what we'll see evolve, like I said, is, is just different types of, of creativity and uh, some completely unique and different art forms taking shape. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, where we concluded with uh, the discussion I was having with uh, my friend was, you know, it's just like, hey, if, if someone believes that it's art at the end of the day, that's all that matters, right? So if there's some representation of that performance that can exist and, and there's a collective belief in that, then suddenly that NFT has value, right? And it may not do a, you know, a complete justice in representing that art form, but certainly if enough people are buying into it, then like, okay, well, that, that's what it is. That's what the original, you know, um, you know, dancer felt represented the dance, the performance itself, and that that's what it is. So I think a lot of it will come down to belief, right? And it already is, you know, people that are sort of spending, you know, thousands, if not millions of dollars on NFTs today, I think they just have a belief that either, you know, it'll retain its value or be super rare, something to, to curate as, as you were talking, Lynn, about the gallery sort of making a comeback or something that'll appreciate in value, right? So there's all these sort of possibilities that are opening up now. And Another huge area is just the the collective ownership, right? If you know the three of us wanted to to own a set of NFTs, we can we can do that now, right? There's a sense that you know we could all pitch in and and have shared ownership over artwork, uh, and they're making that a lot lot easier than it used to be. But I think I think you obviously get a lot of sort of efficiencies from digitizing more things and you know just making it more making that technology more accessible to more people and more artists all over the world. Yeah, it's it's. Pretty uh, to me, it's a very exciting, you know, it's a very exciting, very new market, and really interesting to see where it goes. 
And I, but I think that the word that you said, accessibility, is is really important because a lot of things that we're seeing now with the development of the internet, with the development of of blockchain, of tokens, and now of of NFTs, is that we're able to distribute everything to a more widespread audience. And it's very easy. It's much easier uh, to gain access to it than it was before. And I think that's a great thing. Hmm. And I want to... I guess I want to segue a bit into uh, your work with uh, disabled uh, communities. Lynn, could you share a little bit more about, you know, how you're a part of that community? Well, that was when, so I haven't, you know, I, I have not kept up with that as much as I would have liked to. Like I said, when I first started riding, uh, riding horses, um, I, I really started getting very, very serious about it in my 20s. And the barn that I was riding at had started up, um, uh, and I'm really hoping I'm, I'm being correct here in, in terminology, but they, they had started a disabled riding program for either, you know, uh, mentally challenged adults or children with with some, some learning issues to them. And horses are absolutely wonderful. They're just wonderful because with a horse and as like with other animals, but especially with a horse. To me, it seems that a horse just sees that they're with a kind person. They don't see anything else. So there's no bias. There's no um, prejudice. There's no nothing. They just see a good person. And they respond to people. Horses, you know, are, are wonderful like that. So... Uh, when I was able to to teach these people riding to see, and then they knew they were doing something special. They knew they were riding a horse. They were with this animal. You know, un- they say horses give unconditional love, and um, it, it was just so transformative. So transformative. I had one person, one man who came, and um, he had a you know a advancing case of cerebral palsy. And he had a walker and everything, and he got on the horse, and the horse helped, um, you know. And at the end, he only needed a cane, and he was able to ride in one of the um, local Special Olympics that we had and won a few ribbons. um, And just, you know, knowing of the accomplishment and the transformative nature. It was one of the most rewarding jobs I've I've ever had. It, it was so incredibly special. And the community itself, like I said, are just so many un, you know, selfless giving people that just work tires tirelessly. You know, so many volunteers. Most people are volunteers, you know, just to ensure that this happens. And again, you know, it's a common goal. I don't know, you know, I don't know anything about, you know, when I'm working with all these volunteers or organizers or creators, you don't really start asking all these other questions. You're just there to support and motivate and, you know, make sure that everyone has a wonderful time. And yeah, nothing else is is really, it's just all around the horses in that community. So it's really very, very special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that truly sounds like a, a gem of a community, Lynn, and, and thank you for sharing that. And I think, uh, you know, when we talk about tribes and we talk about 
the communities that will be created in the digital space. I think a, a whole sort of underappreciated area is is the sort of altruistic tribes that will be formed and be able to you know affect change and in in massive in massive ways, right? That aren't driven by profits, but hey, you know there is some other sort of you know values that is are, are pushing them forward. And I'm really really excited to you know use the same technology that we're building for you know uh, more or less commercial tribes to also apply to to communities of people that are looking to to help and and give back and something I'm really really excited about. Um, I do I do want to ask you, Lind. What are what are some tribes that you've fought with in the past? Either fought, you know, yeah, not necessarily physically, but could be, uh, you know, not not necessarily agreeing with their views, and you've had to sort of stand up to, for for your view. Well, you know, not so. I mean, not so much. I would say not so much in terms of tribes, but I would say the past you know, the past couple of years have been very challenging, you know, especially when you're on social and, you know, there were people, like I said, so I would say that people in some of my communities, like I said, cave diving or some of the others, or some of my friends became a little bit more vocal about their opinions and their thoughts. And some of them less respectful than others. And what was nice to see was that there were people and I was one of them and I, you know, and I stood up and I called people out and, you know, just, you know, mentioned that I don't mind you voicing your opinion, but please do it respectfully. And I, I do remember a time where um, I felt strongly about writing my own posts and I guess you could probably guess I'm more left than right. And so I did write about a couple of the 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 things that were going on. And I had a I do have a couple, but I also kind of let people know that if you want to comment, you have to do it respect respectfully. And I had a couple even um liberal friends and a couple of them wrote some disrespectful comments. And I called them out just as much as I did a couple conservative ones. But what was nice to see happen was that as soon as I did that, and people saw that I wasn't biased towards one side or the other, that the comments were very, they actually were were very, very good. You know, some I agree with, some I didn't. But I think it's it's not so much, you know, like you said, fighting, but it's it's kind of like calling people out like, hey, you know, that's that's not great. What exactly do you mean behind that? And because it wasn't that I just turned people away, even conservative friends, you know, because there were a couple that really, you know, kind of were ex- extreme. And I just kind of wrote my, you know, my response. And they started explaining themselves and we had a dialogue. And that's really where I, what I just want to wish everyone could get to is like just having the dialogue. So I don't think I was actually fighting, but definitely had to stand my ground to to get to the dialogue and the conversations. Yeah. So even even within the tribe, Lynn, you know, you're doing a, a sense of like there's a sense of realignment and and encouraging dialogue. So I really, really do appreciate that because, you know, oftentimes we'll have guests on that have, you know, vehemently sort of fought with other tribes for whatever ideologies. But even within tribes, sometimes there's there's turmoil, right? And it's necessary to kind of 
kind of get it reoriented. So yeah, I appreciate that, Lynn, you know, for sharing, for sharing that. Uh, we're getting close to the end here, but before we go, I'd like to ask one more question, Lynn, and that's uh, what tribes you'd like to see exist in the future? Okay, so, well, let's forget about the the obvious ones. You know, obviously, uh, cave diving. Um, I would like to see that. I'd like to see a tribe around art. I, I, I would like to see a tribe that can openly and can openly and respectfully discuss some of the points that were raised here and some of the questions, Rob's, that you had. I would love to see that type of tribe. And it's a difficult one, you know, because like I said, it's, you know, so many people want to either, you know, attack or fight or try to get someone to to agree with their viewpoint where as I said, if someone has a different opinion, it's their opinion. You don't necessarily need to agree with yours, but you can discuss and understand a little better. Or maybe you find out or you uncover through the dialogue that you do have a common goal that you can both work towards, even though you have differences. So I would like to see a few of those tribes start up and not, you know, so not have every tribe be aligned with 100% common interest. Okay, so definitely cooking tribes. That's another one of my passions. Love to love to see that. I, I do make a lot of different uh, global dishes. Really like, uh, you know, like creating, like learning about um, foods from other countries and like to see that. I think things like that bring people together too. So I'm all about inclusiveness. And what else would I like to see? I like archaeology a lot too. Definitely that. Oh, Ecosystem sustainability, where we talk a lot about uh, actually the sustainability of our natural resources. Uh, we, we focus so much on carbon. I would love to see more attention brought to just overall ecosystem sustainability and natural resources. And uh, definitely social, definitely understanding the health and welfare of people around the world and um, how we use, how we can better use blockchain. Another one, how, can, how we can utilize the blockchain technology to solve other issues. You know, it's not all about tokens and cryptocurrency. The technology is phenomenal and it can be used in so many other different ways. So I'd love to see another tribe around that. Yeah, I think that's it for mm-hmm. now, maybe. There's a few more. That I think. <laughs> you rattled off like uh, five or six different ones. And, uh, you know, what's what's beautiful is that I don't think there's anyone else in the world that would would share the same sort of uh, set of uh, tribes that you just mentioned. Uh, and that's why, you know, you we, we are, we are, all of us are a tribe of one. And, you know, I re- we really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah. Thanks uh, so much for coming on. And it's been a, it's been a great discussion. Thanks. I really enjoyed it.